Well, school started this week, huh? The kids are saying, oh, and the parents are saying, yes. And the deal is this. Parents are the first teachers. I want to talk to you today about the best teacher ever. But parents are the first teachers. And um, then you hand off. You do this handoff thing to, to a formal teacher, like in preschool or in kindergarten. And the Latin phrase used for that teacher's role is in loco parentis. And teachers say, I know the parents are crazy. They're loco. And that's it. No, no, no. It means location. And a teacher takes the place of a parent for those eight hours or six hours, whatever it is. What I'd like to suggest this morning is if you are in the field of education, preschool teacher, teach grad students, you're an administrator, you mow the lawns at a, at a school, you're a custodial person, you're an admin, you're a coach, at any level, in any educational setting, if you would do me the privilege or the honor this morning of standing, we'd like to meet you. Anybody in the education field, just stand up where you are. Would you do that? Stay standing. Stay standing. Just stay up. Don't sit down. Stay standing. Just, just stay up for a moment, if you don't mind. On behalf of us all, I'd like to say thank you for teachers and people in school systems around the country today being in that vortex where culture and values and shaping comes together. What a huge challenge. And you are in place of parents. You are uh, helping to form and shape young people's lives and even in adult education, older people's lives. No small task. And I'd like the privilege of praying for you today as this school year starts. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for these men and women who are giving their lives to the shaping of other lives. Thank you for their callings. Thank you for their engagement. Thank you for the, uh, the fingerprints they leave on people's lives and souls as they engage them either in the classroom or in the hallways or on the ball fields or wherever it is. We pray your blessing on them and anointing, if you will, this year as this school year begins, that people's lives will be changed because of the presence of these who stand here today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, let's hear it for him one more time. I think that's right. The best teacher ever. You know what's happening today? The Rio Olympics is over. And the Rio Olympics, I've had fun watching it. I, you know, I watch those people flip through the air or, or swim like fish. And I say, how do they do that? It, I mean, there's raw energy, there's ultimate focus, there's skills, there's dramas, there's thrills, there's spills, there's euphoria. Katie Ledecky, that 19-year-old swimmer, like won four gold medals or five, whatever. That's nuts. That's crazy. And then, the, but she's euphoric. She's got all those gold medals. But then there's Adam Jamili. The young British guy who ran the 200 meters against the Usain Bolts of the world, you know. And, and he came across the line at exactly the same second as the French guy next to him. I mean, it was like the same exact second. Well, 
Not exactly. It would have been the same second 30 years ago, but not now. Not with photo finished stuff. He, was, he, he missed the bronze medal by three one-thousandths of a second. Like not three one-hundred. And I'm, he's sitting there and he's crushed. And I'm saying, if I'd spent four years to run 20 seconds and I missed it, by, I'd be sitting down there balling too. That, I, that's where I'd be. But I like, I like watching in the Olympics. I like watching the teachers. You say, the teachers? Yeah, the parents and the coaches. That's who I like to watch. I, the, the parents of that gymnast, Ali Raceman, who, who, you know, who you, you saw him, right? They, she won the silver. She knew she couldn't win the gold. She was captain of the team. But her specialty was the parallel bar the, where you flip and do crazy stuff. And, and they're watching her. And as she's going up, they're doing like this. You know, and I'm sitting on my couch going, I, I mean, I'm, my guts are all tied up because of this. And, 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 or coaches. You know, what, what is Bob Bowman, who is Michael Phelps' coach? Michael Phelps has 28 Olympic medals. 23 of them are gold. What does a coach say to a guy to sort of help him along? You know, what do you... <laughs> does he say, Michael, your game face scares me. Don't do that. I don't know what he said. But in that setting, someone taught and someone learned. Last week, Tim Heist was here and spoke. Did you, did you hear Tim last week? T- you know, t- t- Tim's a young guy. He, he's, I don't know what the problem is, but he, he's not supposed to be that wise. You know, he's supposed to be sort of flaky, but, he, but he's not. He's like solid, and that disturbs me. But the <laughs> fact is that he was great last week in teeing up the relationship between Jesus and the followers. He said these are guys, his 12 guys, are guys who didn't make the cut in the rabbinical training school, and so they ended up fishing and stuff like that. But he teed it up so beautifully. By the way, we need to be grateful for the, for the Tim Heists and the Bob Seals and the Justin and Mackenzie Matthews who lead our young people. I wish I were a teenager again when I'm around those guys. It's just tremendous, or a young adult. And he, just, it's wonderful. So, Learning is what we're built for. The question is, who's the teacher? You remember who your best teacher was? Or the one that sort of changed your trajectory? You remember who that was? Miss Smith from New Zealand in my British boarding school. I was, many of you know, I was brought up in the hills of South India when I was a little guy. My first three years in school, British boarding school. Miss Smith in a chapel one day, at the end of the chapel said, if you want to know more about Jesus, when the chapel is done, go to the principal's office. Well, the principal's office is a huge hurdle to the kingdom of God. I'm just telling you. And I just, but I went and that started my journey with Jesus as I remember it because of Miss Smith. And then there was Francis Veach, 28, blonde, willowy, sharp. I was in love. I was eight. My fourth grade teacher in Springfield, Missouri. Then Miss Wirt, my English teacher in high school who said language is important. How you put words together and communicate is key. Or Mr. Reynolds, my drama teacher, who gave me the lead role in the senior play at Fremont High School in Oakland, California. And the play that year was Arthur Miller's The Crucible. It's about the witch hunts or witch trials in Salem, Massachusetts. And and I was a stutterer, but I could get on the stage. And because the words were on the page, I'd know them ahead of time. And if I did stutter, I could wave my arm. And it was a mechanical thing to trigger speech. And so it was, it was great. And, and he gave me a break. And, and they hanged me at the end. That's, that's what, or hung me. That's what happens in that story. 
And then there was Fred Grieve, this psychologist that we had in college who was a man without guile. And he touched our lives. Or Forrest Beiser, who was sort of the Pied Piper on our college campus. He was an English teacher, but he was into music, and kids just loved to be with him. But when I got to grad school, I was uh, three weeks married in 1963 when Ruth and I, you know, I got a car in the deal. I married her and I got a car. And, and so we loaded that car up and drove from California to Wheaton College Graduate School near Chicago. And there I met Dr. Lois Labar. Dr. Lois Labar, I call this the Simone Biles. You know Simone Biles who won the all-around gold? And she was the Simone Biles of education. She was this small woman, 57 years old, single, Ph.D. from New York University, who loved to teach. And she loved the best teacher ever, Jesus. And I'm a 22-year-old newly married guy. And she impacted how I learn, how I speak to this day, how I teach, and how I think about things. You see, I, I knew Jesus as Savior and Redeemer before I got to Wheaton Grad School, of course. But what she introduced me to was Jesus as teacher. He's the best teacher ever. Let's meet him. John, the third chapter, reads like this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. In, in each town or city, they had a ruling council in old Israel that would be 23 to 71 men. And he was a member of the one in Jerusalem. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So he comes and says, you're a great teacher. And it's like Jesus says, well, let me toss a thought out here and see how you do with it. You must be born again. And it's like Nicodemus is a teacher himself. This is a teacher talking to teacher. This is like he's a Ph.D. and a Th.D. all these deeds. And, and he says, huh? How can someone be born when they are old? See, that's what I'd say if I were in that conversation. How do, you, how do you do that? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. He changes his metaphor here. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You don't know exactly how it happens, but you see the change, right? How can these things be? Nicodemus goes on to say, and Jesus chides him a little bit. He gives him a little one of those. He says, you're a teacher in Israel, and you don't understand this. Point one on your bulletin, on the back of your bulletin, is Jesus is most often called teacher. In the Gospels, he is addressed 90 times by title 60. Two-thirds of those are teacher. See, Jesus lived in a religious culture. Teachers were big today. Today, teachers generally aren't nearly as high on the totem pole, if you will, as they were back in the day. Years ago, the teacher was the best taught. The teacher and the minister in early America were the two best educated people in town generally. But in this kind of a culture, in a religious culture where Jesus grew up, 
Teachers were huge. There were lots of rabbis, lots of teachers, and they had some of them were peripatetic teachers. That's a that's a four dollar word for it means they walked around. So they'd walk around. They had their little groupies and stuff, and they'd listen. And they didn't take notes because you couldn't do that, but they had to try to remember and, and so forth. Well, who your rabbi was was big. It's like here in Colorado, the key question is, have you hiked a 14er yet? Back on the East Coast, it's, what school did you graduate from? Here it was, who's your teacher? That's the question. And he says to Jesus, Nicodemus, you don't just talk, you do stuff. He's saying, you're way more than words and lesson plans. And we can tell by what you do that you're a teacher sent from God. What makes a great teacher? I just checked this out. There are all kinds of lists. But let me just toss some stuff up here on the screen. Great teachers set high expectations for students. Think about the teachers you've had. The ones that really shaped your life didn't say, just do what you want. It's okay. Go with it. Go with your feelings. They set high expectations for you. Here's Jesus who says, be perfect. Be mature like your heavenly father is mature. Well, that's a high expectation. They have clear objectives. How about this one? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. Or they're prepared and organized. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 people and he says, have them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. He organized so they could pass. You know, he did the big miracle, but organizing 5,000 people just by word of mouth because there are no loudspeakers and stuff, you know, that's not a small task. They engage students to look at issues in various ways. Teachers do that. They toss out questions like this one. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That'll engage you. That's a good question. How about this? They form strong, caring relationships with their students. Jesus says, look, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. They're masters of the subject matter. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made. He says, why don't, why don't we tilt the earth on its axis about, oh, 23 and a half degrees, sort of. He really knew his stuff when he did this. And they communicate frequently. Everything my father tells me, I'm going to tell you. So, point two. The best teacher ever, this Jesus, he informs our minds to transform our hearts. We live in the information age. This is the first generation in history in the last 20 years. These generations of young people. It's the first generation who have never had to go to an authority figure for information. Just Google it. Go to Wikipedia. Do whatever. That's what you do. But this is a teacher who informs our minds to transform our hearts. I can give you a list as long as my arms of great leaders, positive leaders, not the Hitlers and the Caligulas and those guys, but great leaders in world history, whether they're philosophers or teachers or political leaders or government. And they took you places and did things. But there's, they can change your mind. They can give you a cause, but there's no teacher in human history that can change the human heart except this Jesus of Nazareth. Because his point in teaching is to transform our hearts. So when he says, Nicodemus, think on this. You, you need to be born again. He's, he's tossing something out there that gets at us. And we're grappling with it and say, what, is that, what does that mean to have that happen? You know, one idea can change everything. One thought like that can change everything. When I, when I was a young pastor, Ruth and I did a church plant at the University of Illinois. And, uh, boy, it was 
tough going for the first three years. We had 12 or 15 college students and you know, you're trying to survive and college kids don't have any money. And so that's part of it. And then you're trying to get people together and I'm going door to door. And after three years, we had maybe 75 people and I was preaching my heart out Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Back in the day, we had three services and I got different series going. I'm trying to do my best. And I'm like 25 years old. You know, I started young and um, but everybody in the congregation was pretty much younger than I was. And so we were doing this. But in, in and I was teaching them the way I grew up. Because when I grew up, the teachers and preachers pretty much, in my kind of setting, told me what to do and what not to do. That was sort of the approach. And so I was doing that. And it was wearing me out. I think it was wearing them out. And one day I was whining to God. I said, God, this is, this is craziness. And he just, I felt like he said, Foth, why don't you stop telling those people what to do? And start telling me, telling them who I am. And let me tell them what to do. One idea can change your whole life. That idea has changed my whole life and approach to mission and ministry. So I started telling them about the God who is. The, the great I am. I am the creator. I am the redeemer. I am the giver of life. I am living water. I am living bread. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, you know, the good shepherd. I am the vine. I, you know, that God. And it changed everything. Because when, you're, when, you, when something happens that transforms you... It changes how things move. So when the Spirit works, you can tell the Spirit's moving by what moves. You can tell the Spirit's it moves by if there's a shift or a change. I love the story of what they called the Welsh revivals. Back at the turn of the last century, they had a huge spiritual renewal in Wales where the Spirit of the Lord showed up, if you will, and people started repenting and changing their lives, and they were hard-living, hard-drinking, whatever, guys. And, and the, 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 the mining community, which is huge in Wales, you know, mining's a big deal, they were particularly impacted. I mean, it was this transformation in this little country was so great that the police ran out of things to do because the crime rate dropped so much. So they formed like gospel quartets and would go to churches and the cops would come and, and sing or they'd do traffic control and stuff like that. But the miners were amazing because they were so transformed that it changed their language. I mean, they were hard drinking, cussing, you know, and they're, and they're driving the mules to the mines and they're going, well, when their lives were transformed, their language changed and it impacted the economics because they couldn't get the mules to go because the mules didn't. I can hear the mules saying, Martha, what's the, what's the boy saying? Does he speak in Chinese or what's going on there? We don't know. A great teacher, number three, connects the known to the unknown. Connects the known to the unknown. Jesus said to Nicodemus, let's talk about birth. Everybody knows about birth. So he, he's taking that idea and giving it a fresh perspective, saying, what might this like if it's a spirit birth? Or he says, let's talk about the wind. You felt the wind on your face. I mean, you're, you know, just let's talk about that. Connects the known to the unknown. Some years ago, I used to run years ago, uh, maybe five miles a day. And I was speaking at a conference in Ireland at a place called Dunleary, which is a harbor town south of Dublin. And I got up early one morning to go running. And I was running down to the quay, the wharf. So, and and I, I didn't know the town, but I had the spire of the Church of Ireland there as my reference point. So I ran down the hill, ran out on the quay, came back. And as I'm running up the hill, I realized I've lost the spire. I can't see the steeple on the church. So I run up on the high street, and there are a couple of Irish teenage girls sitting over in the curb having a smoke 
early on a Sunday morning. And I ran over. I said, ladies, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just running. I'm new in town. I, I'm sort of lost. But can, can you tell me where the Church of Ireland is? Because that's my reference point. And they looked at each other and said, no, no, I, no we can't. I don't, I don't believe we could tell you that. And uh, I said, well, it's, you know, it's right across the street from Goggins Pub. And they said, oh, love, that's two blocks down on the left. You've got to connect the known to the unknown. Otherwise, people can't learn. That's just how it is. Transformed by the best teacher ever. Would you like to be transformed by the best teacher ever? What would it take to be transformed by the best teacher ever? Number four, he captures us by presence, experiences, and words. My friend Batterson, who was here a while back, said that Jesus spent three years with those 12 guys hiking, camping, and fishing. And as we heard from the series we just finished, eating Jesus at table with his people. He's there. When I ask people, who was your best teacher? Oftentimes they'll say, the best teacher I ever had said I could call her anytime and she'd come. Or the best teacher I ever had would always be there for me. Sort of the classic line. Transformed by the best teacher ever. Last week when Tim was talking, he said if you were a young Jewish rabbinical student or young Jewish boy, some of them in their teenage years would have memorized all of this, all of what we call the Old Testament, the Torah, the Law and the Prophets. They would have memorized I mean, that's unbelievable that they would do that. But when you think about biography, when you think about learning a teacher's life, what does that look like? I love biographies because when you read biographies, you learn the culture, you learn the language, you learn what shaped them. You, and I've got a lot of biographies in my house. I thought I'd just bring some. This is, uh, that's what this bag is, and I'm going to kneel down here and you, you pray I can get back up, okay? This is like this one. This is a great leader, John Adams, shaped the country by uh, David McCullough. Look how big old thick that thing how about this one? This is Hamilton. There's a musical on Broadway that's huge. This is Ron Chernow's Hamilton. Just big. How about Winston Churchill, The Last Lion by William Manchester? Huh? Right there. Or this one, Doris Kearns Goodwin, Team of Rivals. If you saw the movie Lincoln, it was based on this book, Story of Abraham Lincoln. Then you've got Theodore Rex. This is Teddy Roosevelt. Democrats and Republicans in D.C. both like Teddy. He's a big guy. Just look at that. And then... This is John Meacham's Thomas Jefferson, The Art of Power. Look at that. Hundreds and hundreds of pages in these books of biographies. There are, uh, and, and these guys have hundreds of other books written about them for their biographies. If you want to read the biography of the best teacher ever, there it is. That much. You can read this much out loud, out loud, in eight hours. You can read the life and teachings of the best teacher ever in eight hours. Two and a half hours for Matthew, approximately. Hour and a half for Mark. Two hours for John. Or excuse me, two and a half hours for Luke and two hours for John. Eight hours. 
if you, if you could read the biography and the words of the best teacher ever in eight hours, why wouldn't we want to do that? If, in fact, it wouldn't just teach me how to run a bandsaw or how to do multiplication tables, if it, in fact, taught me more than how to make a living, if it taught me how to live, why wouldn't I do that? You say, man, I, I could read that in eight hours and I'd, I'd, I'd know all that. No, 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 no. I didn't say you'd know all of it if you read it in eight hours. I said you could read it in eight hours. It'll take you the rest of your life to be transformed inch by inch and bit by bit. And there, there'll be seminal moments like when you're born again. But the power of this is that the words he says are very disturbing a lot of times. But why don't we think about starting somewhere? Let's just say that we took, you know, there's a, there's a body of his teaching called the Sermon on the Mount that you find in Matthew 5 to 7. And it, it's thought that he taught these things in the Sermon on the Mount several places. Like he talks about anger, like being the basis for all kinds of bad stuff happening, you know, which is true. We know that. We've been angry. We know what happens. Nobody really gets blessed when we get mad, you know. So we know this. But if there were a single teaching, let, let's just take... One thought. I'm going to give you one verse. It's going to go up on the screen. And this is what it says. Matthew 7:12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Because this sums up the law and the prophets. All of this is summed up in one sentence. Now there's only one other place that he says all the law and the prophets. And that's where he says, love your... Love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, but here, it's a, and we call this the golden rule. We think it, somebody made this. No, this is Jesus' words. Do unto others as you want to have them do to do. So in everything, so let's say it together. Okay, on, on the count of three, let's just read it out loud. One, two, three. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's try it one more time. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. What would happen, like this week, if that verse became a lens through how I saw each of my relationships? What would happen? You say, but how, how does that work in your life? Well, it's the Spirit, right? I mean, it, the Spirit blows and works and so forth. You say, but Jesus is gone. How can he be the best teacher ever? Well, he answers that. The Holy Spirit, verse 6, the Holy Spirit is given to keep teaching us. One of the last things Jesus says before he dies, the night before he goes to the cross, he says this in John 14, 25. All this I've spoken while still with you. He's given them a teaching. But the advocate, the one who speaks on behalf of God, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. See, now they're not taking notes, right? So they, they can't put it on their phone. They don't have a little bullet notebook thing and, or a moleskin. They don't have any of that. So they've got to try to remember three years' worth of stuff. Jesus didn't say 89 things. He said a handful of things a lot of different ways, a lot of different times. But the, the idea is in John 14, he says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. An advocate is somebody who speaks on somebody else's behalf. He said, I'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. There are two words for another 
in the Greek language in the New Testament. One means another of a different kind, and the second one means another of the same kind. He says, I'm sending you another, just like me, to keep teaching you when I'm not here physically. Here is Nicodemus. He comes at night, a teacher, coming to the teacher sent from God, and he finds authority, originality, he finds creativity, he finds eternal perspective, he finds life-giving truth. The Holy Spirit in you will keep tapping into that kind of teaching. Jesus says, I'm gone, but the Spirit will keep on teaching you. So if this week I said, Holy Spirit, show me what it means to treat others like I want to be treated. Make that real to me when I have these interactions. When there's a point of tension or a point of, show me, help me move in that way. We don't know if Nicodemus was transformed. It it doesn't say Nicodemus was born again. It doesn't say that. We do know where he was three years later. Jesus has been killed on the cross. And this is what it says in John 19, 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea, he was part of that same ruling council, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Because what they do is wrap a body in a sheet and pack it with all these spices to cover up the smell of decaying flesh. And of course, you know, really, it's only going to be three days, so they didn't have to worry about it so much. But the point is that Nicodemus was there. Here was Nicodemus, who had been a night guy, and he became a day guy. Here was Nicodemus, who had been in the darkness, and now he walked in the light he was a strong leader and teacher transformed by the best teacher ever i love it when teachers are even transformed i mean teachers know you teachers you know stuff but when teachers are transformed by the spirit it's powerful i close with this story some of you have heard it before i love this story speaking at a conference in idaho some years ago it was a pastor's conference and the pastor who spoke earlier in the afternoon before me had said um, I have a science background. I was having dinner, and I happened to be sitting next to him at dinner. I said, what, what kind of science background do you have? He said, uh, math. I was a math teacher. I said, really? I said, how would you get into that? He said, well, I went to Eastern Washington State University and uh, took a math class when I was a sophomore, and I loved it. And I ended up taking every math class they offered. And then I went to grad school in math. I said, really? You're a pastor and you went to grad school in math? I said, where'd you go? He said, Yale. I said, so you're pastoring a church and you have a master's degree from Yale in math? He said, no, I have a Ph.D. from Yale in math. (laughs) I said, well, like in what area? Because math has a lot of subsets, I guess. You know, I'm not a great math guy. He said it was in algebraic geometry. Now, I can hardly say that. It's some exotic part of math, some crazy... And I said, how does a guy like you, with a Ph.D. in algebraic geometry from Yale, become a pastor in Idaho? He said, it's a long story, but my wife and I were in school there. We were both atheists, and we came out here to work at university. And I, I have to admit, I was a great professor, but a terrible husband, lousy husband. My wife and I used to get in fights all the time. And once, one Saturday night, we got in a fight, and she said, tomorrow morning, I'm taking the kids and going to church. We never went to church. Maybe she did a little bit as a kid, but we never did that. She gets up the next morning. She's picked a church out. She's going to go to on the far side of town. She's got these little kids. And, of course, if you have little kids and you're going to church, 
you're late. That's just how that works. <laughs> and so driving across town, you know, because, you know, the devil hides your socks on Sunday morning. I'm just saying. And so you'd, you're just going, going across town, and she, and she came by a little church, and if she pulled in here, she'd be on time. So she pulled in and went in, and it was a small church, not a very big congregation. It was pretty enthusiastic. They were doing a lot of this and a lot of this, and it was not sort of her thing. And she was there, but she stayed through the service. And at the end, the pastor said, uh, great to have you here. Because when you have a small church, you know everybody is new, you know. And he said, so where do you live? And she didn't want to tell him. She said, just over on the east side of town, left. About a week later, she and her husband were having one of those arguments. And she hears this. She goes to the door, and here stands this pastor. He said, I was just in the area. Thought I'd swing by and see how he... She said, I have no idea how he found me. They thanked him and sort of shooed him off the porch and... Two weeks later, they're having another knockdown drag out. Go to the door. Here's this pastor. A couple weeks later, another big old fight. And maybe six or seven times in a four-month period, that happened. And the last time it happened, it was midnight. She had the car packed, ready to go. She was done. It was midnight. Went to the door. The pastor never got past the screen door. They never let him in the house. They just, he said, I was just in prayer. And I felt like the Spirit said I should swing by and see if there's anything I could do to help. The next morning, the heat's gone out of the argument. They're standing in the kitchen and they're, they're laughing. And, and the Ph.D. from Yale says, that guy's an idiot. I mean, he's a, a weirdo. He just shows up out of nowhere. I mean, and he said, the crazy thing is, whenever we're having a fight over the last four months, he showed up. He said, what, what are the mathematical odds of something like that? And he said, in the middle of that sentence, in the middle of that sentence, I knew there was a God. The Spirit of the Lord started to blow. And that boy was born again. That boy's life was changed. And I met him years after when he was leading a congregation. And it's like Jesus says, if you listen up, I'll transform your whole life. Just give me an opening, just a little crack, and see what happens. Let's pray. I'd like to do something a little different this morning as we pray. Instead of me praying for you, I'd like to pray with you. And uh, what I'd like to do is just pray a prayer for transformation. And that I'm just going to say a few phrases out loud. And if you'd like, you don't have to. You maybe guess this is strange for you. But if you'd like to follow me out loud in prayer just for a few sentences, I'd like you to join me. So with our heads bowed, I'm just going to say a sentence, and if you'd follow me out loud, it'd be great. Here we go. Dear Lord, here I am. You know me better than I know myself. In this moment, I know that you can transform. I open my heart anew. To change those places in my life that need changing. Thank you for bringing me your peace, your joy, your presence. Thank you for being the best teacher ever. 
Amen.